0: There was an interview this week in the New York Times with Thomas Friedman and Dove Seedman, who is a leadership expert, and they were talking about what it looks like to lead in the midst of trying times or difficult circumstances in the midst of the pandemic that we have. And Seidman was talking about how we've moved from a health crisis to a humanitarian crisis Which then became an economic crisis and an unemployment crisis, and now we find ourselves because of the pandemic in the midst of even a moral crisis. But he said the interesting thing is this is all happening in the area of social media, where people are on, uh, being seen, being talked about, talking themselves 24/7. It's nonstop information and misinformation, and he said the result of that. and what it creates in people is a sense of panic and fear because there is this sense of uncertainty. And so he talks about uh, the importance of leadership in the midst of these times. And it was interesting because he said what people really need is not optimism, but they need hope. They need hope that we can work together. They need hope that we can create a better future. They need hope that they can pin their own dreams and their own aspirations on. And ultimately, think about what the gospel is all about. It it is about this sense of hope, this hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And I promise we're going to get to the idea of hope in a little bit in this sermon. But as you know, we're walking through these questions that people at La Jolla Press asked. And so the question I'm going to be framing today is this idea of why does a good God allow evil and suffering? Why does it seem as though at times God simply doesn't care, or God is silent. And and what happens when we move from simply asking the question why to asking how long? Because that's ultimately what is happening in the Psalms is they're questioning time and time and time again, how long, O Lord, how long do we have to endure this? How long do we have to put up with this? And, And then deep down it's saying, and how does a good God allow for these things to happen. So this morning, we're going to turn our attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. It's the Apostle Paul wrapping up his second letter to the church of Corinth, and as you may recall, uh, Paul was not always well-beloved in Corinth. There were many who felt that he simply uh, wasn't as great of a speaker as he ought to be, or hadn't experienced all the things that a true apostle um, ought to have experienced. And so there were people questioning Basically, his authenticity and what kind of a prophetic voice or apostolic voice he actually had. And so Paul continues to go back and forth with these, this church of, of a struggle of, of who he truly is, of what it is that he has experienced. And this morning, he shares of an incredible experience that he had had 14 years earlier when he was caught up into the heavens. He described it as kind of a person that he knew, but Paul's talking about himself. But in the midst of talking about this incredible experience that he has, he actually uses it to speak about his own pain and suffering, to speak about the pain and suffering in his own life. So this morning, we turn our attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. And listen now for God's word. Paul writes, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man, and here Paul speaks about himself, in Christ, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. then I am strong. Sometimes people ask the question, does God just not care? Does he not understand fully what I am experiencing, what I am suffering, the evil that I see around me? And I think if we look at God without looking at the cross, we we can understand that sort of thinking. But when we look at the cross, it changes everything. Because as we look at that cross and we remember that Jesus Christ hung on that cross, we, remembering the, we remember the suffering that Christ endured for us. That our own sin, which we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, that our own sin had created a roadblock between us and God. It created a chasm between us and God. And so Jesus does the ultimate thing and he goes to the cross and he hangs on the cross and he suffers so that we might have life and have life abundant, that he might bring redemption. When we look at the cross, it doesn't necessarily an- answer the question, why does suffering happen? But it definitely answers the question that God does qu- does care. If people wonder, does does God not care about us? It shows us that God cares. Isaiah chapter 43, the first two verses speak of what this love is all about, of what God has done for us. But now, this is Isaiah 43, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And Isaiah can say that because he's looking to Jesus. He's looking to the Messiah. He's looking to the one who will go through the flames for us so that we will not be consumed. He's looking to the suffering servant. If you continue to read, through Isaiah, and you get to Isaiah chapter 53, you read about the one who suffered on our, our behalf, the one who was scorned, the one who was pierced, the one who was broken. And so we answer the question, does God care? With Yes, God does care. When we look to the cross, we see the intensity and we see the immensity of how much God truly cares for us. Jesus did suffer. Jesus left the full and perfect communion of being with God the Father in order to be with us. And he endured. He cried out from the cross himself, God, God, why have you forsaken me? He uses the Psalms. In the garden of Gethsemane, three times he prayed, just as Paul had prayed, Lord, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Jesus had to go through being without his Father, in order that he might redeem us. He enters into our suffering so that we know that he has also suffered with us. And that brings up a second idea then, and we've talked about this before, that what we also have to remember as followers of Jesus is that God never wastes pain. That there's always something redemptive that happens in pain. And even though we don't fully understand it, the promise is that God's going to, to take all of that somehow. And this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And, and in the midst of restoration, and in the midst of the new heaven, God's going to take that and use that for even greater glory. I don't fully understand how that's going to work. But what I do know is that we look at the end of the world, that we look at at whatever, whenever the new heaven and the new earth comes, we look at it differently than others. For some, there is no end. The death is the final end. For some, it is this idea of, that they'll be, their, their soul will be taken up and they'll be one again with whatever God uh, that they believe in. For some, it's, it's the promise of a great afterlife because you lived a really good life. But the Christian faith says, no, it's far more than that. That God takes all of this up and he restores us to new life. This is what the Apostle Paul truly believed. C.S. Lewis puts it like this in The Problem of Pain. He says, I am not arguing that pain is not painful. Pain hurts. I am only trying to show that the old Christian doctrine, that being made perfect through suffering is not incredible. To prove it palatable is beyond my design. So Lewis is getting, he's saying, I can't make this idea that suffering is palatable. But he says, but I know what scripture says is that even through our suffering, We are being made perfect. And the Apostle Paul fully recognized this. But what are we to do, though? I mean, these are great ideas and talking about kind of from a a more academic approach. But what happens when the pain is personal? What happens when the suffering is mine or the loved one? How do we deal with that? And that's really what the Apostle Paul is driving at in the second part of what we read earlier this morning, of talking about, look, there, there was this thorn in my flesh that was given to me by God to keep me humble. And I think we, we miss the, the intensity, really, of the word thorn as it's translated into the English language. Literally, that word is actually used one time in the entirety of the New Testament, but in its other uses and in, in, in different stories that are told outside of the, the New Testament, it's basically a stake, S-T-A-K-E, on which something is impaled. It's a sharp medical instrument that is sharp, that is painful when stabbed into the body. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is he's describing whatever this ailment was that he had. And I don't have time tonight or today to to kind of go through that and and talk about the different theories there are. You can look at those on your own. But But whatever it is, he's saying it was painful. And it was causing him suffering. It was not just simply a small thorn. It was something that was sharp and painful. And he says God was using that for God's greater glory. He says Satan was even tormenting me with it. And they're sending that, that word there for torment in Paul's letters, the same word that is used in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark to describe the beating that Jesus took from the rulers of his day. And, and, and so, what Paul is getting at, he's saying, this pain that I'm talking about, it's real, it hurts. And what does Paul do? Well, he prays. Verse 8 tells us, three times I prayed to the Lord, asking him, begging him, take this from me. Similar to what happens with Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. That Paul is expressing the, the, the heartfelt desire that whatever it is that he was going through, He longs for it to be taken from him, probably because he feels like it's impacting or impeding his ministry. And God's word back to him is very clear. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My power is made perfect in your weakness. But that doesn't keep Paul from probably continuing to pray for it to be taken from him. It doesn't keep us from continuing to pray. I think we need to be people of prayer that part of when we're in the midst of suffering or our friends are in the midst of suffering or we're dealing with evil around us, we need to be people of prayer. The prayers of lament. You look through the Psalms, like something like 60% of the Psalms are prayers of lament, words of lament. Because life was not always easy. It wasn't easy for the people of Israel. It wasn't easy for the followers of Jesus. He told them the gospel of John. If you're with me, you're going to have trouble. And so we can expect that. But what we need is language and we need words that help us to know how to express that. If you look at Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, um, they're, they're, they're Psalms of lament, but those Psalms of lament move to hope. And in the middle of Psalm 42, in the end of Psalm 42, And at the end of Psalm 43, they have the same refrain. So I just want to read the first five verses of Psalm 42. It's a psalm that starts with lament. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And then this refrain, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. Psalmist says, I remember when I used to be able to go to the temple. I remember when I used to be able to go to church. I remember when I used to be able to gather with my friends and everything has changed. I'm experiencing loss and he's crying out. Why are you downcast my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And then he says, put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. And I think when we feel as though we are in the fire, when we feel as though we are being swept away, we pray. We pray songs. We pray prayers of lament. Because as I read a while ago, prayer, is, prayer is, prayers of lament are prayers in the meantime. It's as we wait for the glory and the wonder of God to be revealed. We offer these words We don't lose hope because if you notice how Psalm 42 worked itself out, it it begins with uncertainty. It begins with kind of despair. I thirst, I long, and then it says, but I will yet hope in God. And lament helps to keep God in the equation. And so maybe we need to be a little more disciplined in our prayer lives as we walk through this time or as we pray for others who are suffering we also learn from our suffering. That's what the Apostle Paul talks about. Paul didn't stop his mission or his ministry because he had to walk through some difficult times. Instead, he learned from those. He learned that God's power was still present in him, that even in the midst of his his weakness, Christ's perfect power was working itself out. And I think for us, we have to remember that as well, that, that when we are going through these these hard times, whether it's a hard time now or it's a hard time in the future or a hard time in the past, that God doesn't abandon us to that, that God continues to walk through it with us. And I think that that's an important word for us, that when we even ask, it's not so much why is God allowing evil and suffering, we don't ever fully get that answer. Jesus didn't get that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's just utter silence but Christ goes through it. And I think each of us in our own lives have to learn how to walk through it, how to see that there's something to be learned at the end of it. Jerry Sitzer, who's a professor at Whitworth University, um, I've shared this book before and shared this story before, has written a tremendous book called A Grace Disguised. And in that book, he talks about his own journey of suffering. Uh, the story is that his he was driving back home There was a car accident, they were hit by a drunk driver, and he lost his mom, his wife, and his daughter in one accident. So much life, so many memories, so many relationships taken from him. And he describes the journey of making his way through that. And in the book, he tells the story of a dream that he had had where he was chasing after the sun. The sun was setting to the west and he was racing after it, trying to keep the sun from setting, wanting to be able to bring the sun back up. And eventually it set and he was left in darkness. And he was telling this dream to his sister and trying to make sense of what the dream actually meant. And his sister said to him, you know what, sometimes you have to go east to meet the rising sun rather than go west and chase after the setting sun that sometimes the quickest way, she said, to the sun is walking into the darkness as the sun begins to rise. And Sensor said in that moment, he realized that he would have to walk into the darkness, that he would have to face his own suffering, but he could make a choice. And if he chose to enter into the darkness, he knew that on the other side was the promise of, of the rising sun, the promise of the resurrected Jesus. And he said everything changed because he realized that even in the midst of suffering, God could be teaching him something. Even in the midst of the loss, God is at work. Even in the midst of of whatever it is that we are experiencing today, because there's all different levels of loss right now. But the promise is, that as we cry out to God, as we look to the cross of Christ, as we remember that God doesn't waste anything, that God somehow brings it all together, we are reminded of the promise that Jesus is with us. We cannot explain it all. N.T. Wright, another of my favorite authors, was writing an article in Time Magazine at the end of March And this is what he wrote, and I think there's great wisdom in this. He's echoing a lot of what C.S. Lewis wrote 50 or 60 years ago. He says, and he writes, it is no part of the Christian vocation then to be able to explain what is happening and why. In fact, it is part of the Christian vocation not to be able to explain and to lament instead. As the Spirit laments within us, so we become, even in our own self-isolation, small shrines where the presence and healing love of God can dwell. And out of that, there can emerge new possibilities, new acts of kindness, new scientific understanding, and new hope. I love that image. He says, what we become in the midst of all this, even in our own self-isolation, is we become small shrines where the presence and healing love of God can dwell. And there can be new dreams and there can be new visions. And we don't know exactly where all that's going to lead us. But he says, "Our, our task is not to answer why. Our task is to remain faithful to the God who loves us. And that's where I find my hope. I look to the Apostle Paul who suffered more than I can possibly imagine, who was given this great gift, but also given this thorn, this stake, that he cried out for God to remove, and God said no. But God said more than just no. He said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Jesus says this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. So that even when we are weak, Our God is strong. Even when we feel as though we're suffering and we cannot go on, God says, I'm with you. And so I wanna encourage us in that hope. I wanna remind us that God does promise to be with us and that he continues to call us to serve and to love. Y'all have done an amazing job of serving our community and serving others in our church. And I wanna encourage you continue to do that, to continue to make those calls, to continue to reach out, to continue just to check in and see how people are doing. Because God's way ultimately is perfect. His grace is sufficient for each one of us. Pray with me, please. God, we thank you that one day you will restore all things. Um, We do lament and we do cry out and we do wonder why and we do wonder how long. But God, help us to remember the cross. That in the cross, you show us that your son Jesus went into the flames for us so that we might walk with you that we might be redeemed and restored. And for that, God, we are so grateful. So God, as we worship you and as we continue to follow you, would you guide us and lead us? We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.